Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes what you see in the sky can shape how you live on the earth. Go to any major American city and you can find yourself driving through neighborhoods where streets are pitted with potholes, littered with garbage. You'll pass by burned out buildings and boarded up tenements, liquor stores, storefront groceries, vacant lots, and every once in a while, a daycare center with bars on its windows. People suffer in such neighborhoods. Children struggle just to imagine the dreams that their parents have for them. And yet all the while, every day, people drive through these neighborhoods without seeing the suffering. Why? <laughs> well, because there in the sky, high above you are billboards advertising the pleasures of life. Floating up there in the air, larger than life, is the latest Lexus. Off in the distance, you can see Eternity by Calvin Klein. <laughs> Man with uh, chiseled abs walking down a beach with a gorgeous woman on his arm and tempting you to believe that if you, if you smell like this, you can look like this and you can have this forever. And the neighborhood fades into the background as your needs and your desires are larger than life. Advertising distracts us, you see, not from driving, but from living. We physically drive through the needs of others and yet mentally are filled with dreams and desires all our own. Hair care products and cellular phones, fast food, fine jewelry, these fill our field of vision. They loom there in the sky, larger than life. And what we see in the sky shapes what we see on the ground. When we turn our eyes to heaven, we look at a Lord who becomes a, a servant in our self-help program, a, a higher power to fix our life, a, a heavenly leader who can help us accomplish our impossible dreams. And so the private fulfilling of our personal dreams becomes our religion and overshadows the public working of creation's God through the church in the world. Which is why it's such a, a blessing this morning to have this reading from Revelation, because John comes and he paints a little picture in your mental sky. And God today comes to renew you as his people. And surprisingly, God doesn't need the latest book on church planting. He doesn't need some long-forgotten quote from Martin Chemnitz, and he certainly doesn't need the latest profound insight from the emerging church. No. All he needs is just one little blank space in your imagination. And he will tear that open. He will fill it with a vision that will have your head reeling and change the way you live on the earth. <laughs> or so it was with John. 
This is the last of John's visions in the whole book of Revelation. He has seen it all. He has seen the throne of God. He has seen angels and saints and the victorious Lamb. He's seen the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven censers, and all that they have poured out on this earth. He has seen demons gathering down in the depths of hell and angel warriors gathering in heaven. He's seen Armageddon, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the judgment of all humanity. He's seen the book of life opened. And now at the very end, God gives him this one last vision of a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her bridegroom. And at the end of this vision, you find John with his face in the dirt. And when he finally speaks, all he can say is, Come, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's how this vision affects its first witness, John. The question is, how does it affect us today? Well, I suppose, in in a sense, it will turn our eyes toward the future, have us crying out, hoping for our Lord to come. But does it, could it possibly do something more? I once uh, saw a nursing home brought to life. I was visiting a parishioner at a nursing home on the south side of Chicago. And it was not a place of life. You had uh, linoleum floors, hospital white walls, and there was this woman in a wheelchair in the center of the common room who was constantly crying out, whoop, 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 the whole time you were there. It made me never want to die in a place like that, which made me only want to be there all the more for my parishioner who is ending her life in that home. I went into the room and I was uh, visiting Lola. I was standing alongside her bed. And all of a sudden there was this commotion in the hall. I I didn't know what it was. There was this loud noise. People were clapping. People were rejoicing. Lola asked me, she said, what's going on? I I looked and then I saw them. A bride and a groom flashed by the door. And that bride, her dark black skin and that brilliant white dress, she was absolutely beautiful. I ran to the door, and by the time I got there, she had gone into another room. She was visiting her grandmother. Her grandmother couldn't come to the wedding, so on the way from the church to the reception, she brought the wedding to her. And that one visit brought that nursing home into life. I looked up and down the hall. There were people like me sticking their heads out the door and shouting, shouting, I mean, back into the room about what it was they saw. And that day, even that woman's incessant whooping was somehow glorious at what I had seen. Now, when I got back into the room and I told Lola about this vision, well, it changed our conversation. That bride opened the books of memory. And Lola began to tell me about her own wedding. No white dress, no pastor, no church. She was a war bride. Simple civil service before a justice of the peace, but it was a wedding. It was still a wedding. And in that place of dying on that day, Lola remembered who she was a bride. And that's how I think this fragment of a vision 
might be able to serve us today. Open our books of memory so we remember who we are, not just individuals coming before God to use the church in our self-improvement. No, we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, God's creation, glorious in our beauty and yet to be revealed in this world. And that's actually the problem, isn't it? The, the, the yet to be revealed part. Because when you can't see the glory, it's kind of hard to remember who you are. For John, it might have been his exile on Patmos that caused him to forget he was part of a church. If you listen to the letters at the opening of Revelation, you hear all of the things that might have been in the conversation that would have caused them to forget they were the bride, that the church has lost her first love. She's filled with false teaching. She's idle. She's immersed in sexual immorality. She is lukewarm, and God's about to spit her out of his mouth. Sound familiar? These conversations, they, they echo down the corridors of history. And you hear them among us in whatever little room we've dragged our remnant of a church into and we gather around afraid she's going to die. And that fear and that frustration causes us to raise our voices, our faces get red, and we begin to argue, argue about our plans on how we're going to save this church, God's creation, and we're going to save her. And we become absolutely argumentative and ugly in our conversation. You know, I did something stupid as I was preparing this sermon. I, for some perverse reason, I thought that it would help to watch a few episodes of Bridezilla's. It didn't. <laughs> and I lost a lot of brain cells. <laughs> You, you, you know the show, right? It, it chronicles how brides transform themselves into monsters as they prepare for their wedding. There was this one, one bride, her name was Courtney, Courtney and Dan, I think, and Courtney was going to have this mystery-themed wedding. She was going to have a murder at her wedding, and then all of the guests would figure out and play Clue. And so there she is sitting on the floor, and she's got this board in front of her and all these place cards, and she's talking about this murder mystery and her future husband, Dan, foolishly, foolishly has to ask her why she's changing the rules. <laughs> and she has a complete meltdown. She throws the board into the air, her face gets red, her voice is raised, and she is angry as she begins to destroy her own wedding. And she screams at him that she hates him and she hates his family. The bride becomes bridezilla, argumentative and absolutely ugly. And yet, you know, I, I noticed as I watched enough of these things that all of the brides make the same fundamental error. They think that they can make themselves into brides. <laughs> They're orchestrating their weddings. 
And they forget that no amount of dresses and no kind of flowers and no invitations, no type of cake, nothing. None of that is ever going to make you a bride. You can't make yourself a bride. You're a bride because some poor fool loves you. <laughs> loves you for better, for worse, in rich, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. He loves you and is willing to lay down his life for you. And unfortunately, I listened and I listened and I never heard that on the shows which is why you have to turn off the TV and open the scriptures, because <laughs> that's where you hear it. That's what lies at the heart of this vision, not just the bride, but the bride and the bridegroom and the intimacy of God. John offers us this landscape, huge landscape, a new heaven and a new earth, and then he focuses in on this city that is coming down from heaven, the bride, and then he takes you to the throne, and there you hear, for the second time in the whole book, you hear the voice of God, the Father, who says the dwelling of God will be with his people. God has woven his eternity with you. In Christ, the eternal love of God is wrapped into your life for better for worse. Though we try to turn him into some servant in our self-help program, though we argue and we fight about how we're going to save the church, though the bride of Christ transform into bridezilla and fight against her lover, though she actually murder the bridegroom, still he loves. He comes. He dies. And in that murder is the mystery of your marriage. You are a bride. You are drop-dead gorgeous because Christ died for you. Nothing you could do could ever make you a bride, and yet everything, everything he's ever done has been done in love for you. His life, his death, his resurrection for you. You stand there in his righteousness, beautiful in his baptism, glorious in his grace. And now he promises to return and reveal that glory to the world. And until that time, until that time, he paints this one small picture in your mental sky, trusting that it will open up your books of memory and you will remember who you are. God's own creation, the bride of Christ in this world. And what you see in the sky has a way of shaping how you live in this world. You may not see this bride descending from heaven in all her glory in your lifetime, but open your eyes. She's here, right beside you today. I know a pastor who saw her. She didn't just walk by the room. She actually was in it. 
<laughs> he went to the hospital to visit a parishioner. He turns the corner and he's shocked by what he sees. He's got the, uh, the daughter of the parishioner is at the foot of the bed. She's, she's pulled back the sheets and she's putting this lotion on her mother's legs, starting at her feet. And, and, and it's expensive lotion, more than that daughter could afford. The pastor will tell you that room smelled beautiful. When he walked in, she kind of gave him this mischievous smile, and she made him promise not to tell her kids. You see, they had given her this lotion for Mother's Day because you never do anything nice for yourself. And here she was, putting it on her unresponsive mother. Now, her mother wouldn't know the difference, but the pastor did. He saw her that day, the bride of Christ, not immersed in marketing to make her life better, not immersed in arguing about how to save the church. No, he saw her immersed in suffering. He saw her dying and yet living in one moment of eternal selfless love. So open your eyes. Wherever you go, behold, I make all things new. Amen.